Thank you for joining us today at Revolution 22. We are a church in downtown Boise, Idaho. As we learn from God's word in the book of John, we pray that his word would be received and would bear fruit in your life. John 3. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and asked and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who was born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. God, I pray that you will, you will open our ears to listen and open our hearts to, to receive what you have in store for us this morning through your word. In your precious name we pray. Amen know where it, came, where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know, we bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for working in our hearts. Open our ears to hear, God. 
and open our hearts to receive what you have for us this morning from your word. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. You guys can grab a seat. Well, I had the joy of last week teaching at City Church to get to know some of them and was on a Zoom call with their church and their pastor, John, who is coming over. January 10th is our official merge date. I wanted to remind you guys on this Wednesday at 6.30, if you want to get to know John, the pastor there a little bit, him and I will be on a Zoom call available. It's on our Facebook and Church Center app, and the Gospel Community Leaders got this text, and it's out there. So we'd love to have you join us in that. As we dig into the Gospel of John, as we get into the text that John just read for us here, this is a really, really powerful set of Scripture. Incredibly powerful and very potent. It's one I think that unfortunately gets kind of overlooked in our lives when we come and thinking about the whole idea of eternal life is in Jesus and that we are supposed to understand what it means to, to follow Jesus. In fact, this text kind of in a lot of ways gets kind of passed over for John 3.16, which is where we'll start next week. Every Christian understands that one, but they forget this part, this, this interaction with Nicodemus, where, where Nicodemus and, and Jesus are having this conversation that is really, really, really profound. If we don't pay attention to it, we kind of miss it. But again, the, the Gospel of John's whole purpose is to show us that Jesus is who he says he is, that, that life comes through him, that eternal life is there. And one of the ways that, that John is doing this brilliantly, inspired by the Holy Spirit, is he's, he's weaving kind of this, this artistic beauty of reasons to see why Jesus is who he says he is. And so we go back to the first miracle, the first sign, as the Apostle John likes to call it, that, that Jesus turns water into wine, but he does it through the purification jars to, to show that there is blood that needs to be spilled that I will purify. And then last week, Jonathan talked about Jesus in the temple. And he talked about the different varyings of the temple and how, how God's zeal for his people is. Again, Jesus overturning, kind of confronting the religious system that is in play at this moment. It was an intricate system. Their, their supreme court was in place. Every bit of rights was to the Sanhedrin, the supreme court of the Jews in this way. But they, they, the only thing they couldn't do was capital punishment. They had to involve Roman rule for that. But every other settled matter happened in this intricate religious system where the supreme court was religious people and the people followed religious people and yet there was government, obviously they were occupied by Rome, but it was this really, really interesting kind of intricate system where everyone has a purpose and a place and every single Jew in this day walking with Jesus, interacting with Jesus right now in this time, they believe and understand to know God, to understand God and to follow God comes through these laws, comes through the Old Testament, comes through the Pharisees, the religious leaders of this day. To be a Pharisee, you had to memorize the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, and many of them would have everything else memorized too. Try memorizing three verses, the entire Old Testament available to them. Many of these Jews would have had memorized. They had to memorize the 613 laws that they had kind of added on top of the Ten Commandments to try and make sure that there are no other laws that were broken. And they had heavy and light. And these Pharisees were, were brilliant people. And the promise and the purpose and the reason why the Pharisees were even gathered was because they wanted to help the people, the simple people, the uneducated people, to know how to walk with God. This group formed with the purpose of trying to uphold God's laws, to obey him, to stay true to God, and to bring people to God, to be a people that would point people to the fact that when the Messiah comes, and yet when the Messiah is standing there staring him in the face, they completely miss it. Why? Because what they had done, which I think is very true to many of us today, just in a different way, I don't think many of us are struggling to fall into Judaism or, or the ways of those laws or the Old Testament laws, but they fell into a religious system. 
and the religious system was what made them right, was what made them understand who they were, and they lost sight of the fact that there was actually something drastically needed for them to know Jesus, to have eternal life. You know, maybe the question would be, what credentials do you have to have to have eternal life? What are, what are the things that, that you need to know and have, and what's the bare minimum, kind of what do I have to establish to come to know God, to be in the kingdom of God? And that's essentially the question that is answered here before he even gets to John 3.16. Before we move on, I want to go back a couple verses because it's a really, in the Greek, it's a beautiful transition. In verse 24, he says, but Jesus on his part did not, in chapter 2, sorry, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people. He knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about a man, for he himself knew what was in man. And then the next sentence, now there was a man. What was in man, and now there was a man. This sets up so nicely for this really great translation that ultimately Jesus knows the hearts of men. The people that are saying that they're starting to believe in him and follow him, even Nicodemus as he approaches Jesus, are approaching him because of the signs he's doing. The Jews in this day, everything was about a sign. Show me a sign, show me a sign, show me a sign. They were always looking for a sign. Always. Maybe the modern day version of us is, God, just show me you're real, show me you're good. Show me something, right? They're always looking for something else. And Jesus said, look, the signs are just, uh, they're, again, we said, don't marvel at the signs. Marvel at the one who does them. But this ties this together. Nicodemus is a representative of those in Jerusalem who had witnessed the work of Jesus. He represents the, 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 the law, the Jewish teachers of the law. They were, these were specialized in knowing the law. They led the synagogue in worship instructions, and they served as spiritual guides, these were the people that everyone looked to to say, what do, what do we do? How do we live to be honor, uh, honoring God? This is who they were. And Nicodemus is representing that. That's what he says. He knows all the men. For he himself knew what was in man. Now there was a man, one of Pharisees, Nicodemus. Now Nicodemus is the teacher. We see Jesus call him that. He says, you are the teacher, not a teacher of Israel. So that means that he was well up in the Sanhedrin, probably the top we know that he's incredibly wealthy. We find that out from John 19 and when he brings a bunch of herbs to Jesus' tomb. He is really, really well-respected, famous in this era. He probably had the entirety of the Old Testament memorized. He was a teacher. He was the teacher to the teachers. He was the one that was there. He was in the Supreme Court, the Sanhedrin. He was in this place, and he had kind of everything, and he shows up. He's the one that comes to Jesus. This is Nicodemus. He had most of the Psalms love. He was famous. He was well-respected, and they send him. He uses the language we, so it's, it's safe to assume that Nicodemus is approaching Jesus based on the Pharisees. Now, what's interesting is the time and how he does it. It says he comes to him by night. There's only other, one other verse that talks about someone approaching at night, and that's Judas. So usually in the, usually in the, the New Testament, when we see when we see these things happen, when we see people come at night, sometimes there's a theological undertone behind it. And John does a lot of things between darkness and light. He's already established that Jesus is the light and that, that Nicodemus is, the, is coming at night. So it could be that Nicodemus is, is leaving darkness to come into light, to, to approach Jesus. And that's, that's one way we can read it. But what probably makes the most sense, some people would say, well, he's just embarrassed or he's hiding. No, I don't think that's necessarily there. Now, the Pharisees didn't have much kind of role in the temple, and Jesus did just 
create a scene in the temple. So there's a chance that the Pharisees were a little bit worried about being aligned to him. So there maybe was some of that, like, hey, if we are talking to him in daylight and we're having these conversations, we're going to have it with an audience. People are always going to gather. There's no kind of quiet in this. So if I go to him at night, I can have a conversation with him uninterrupted, and I can really understand what he's doing. Most scholars, again, there's all kinds of views, and we can't know for sure, but most scholars believe that Nicodemus actually genuinely wants to understand what Jesus has for him because he's a very smart man. He's a very, he's a very understanding man. We see in chapter 7 that he kind of defends Jesus at one moment. There's, there's speculation as to whether or not Nicodemus ever does come and follow Jesus. Most people believe because of what he does with Joseph of Arimathea um, in the end with his tomb. But either way, Nicodemus is there. He's having this conversation by the coverage of night. He begins very respectful, very polite. And now hear this on this. This is, I don't even know how to give us a modern day example, but Nicodemus is like the cream of the crop, the top tier. Like everyone around, he walks in a room and everyone's like, it's Nicodemus, it's Nick. I don't know if they call him that, but that's what I'm going to call him, okay? So they're like, this guy knows it, he understands it. You know, if someone reads a scripture, he could be like, oh yeah, that's Psalm 33. Nope, 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 sorry, that's not it. This is what it is. Like, you read that wrong. Let me, let me bring it back to you. Let me help you understand it in the Hebrew. Like, he was brilliant, brilliant. He comes to Jesus and he, he speaks to him. He says, Rabbi. Now, you have to understand to carry that title, to carry the rabbi or the teacher title, you would have spent a lot of time in education. You wouldn't have had another job. You wouldn't have been a fisherman or a carpenter like Jesus was. You wouldn't have had the time. If you were doing those things, you wouldn't have had the time to study what they're doing. So, so the fact that Nicodemus, the cream of the crop, the top of the top, comes and says, rabbi, teacher, that is a beautiful form of respect for him to do to someone that was a, that was a carpenter from Nazareth. Like, he's not, even, he's not even someone that was well-educated by their system. So Nicodemus comes to him with respect, and he comes to him, and he kind of utters a statement, which is kind of a question, and then two questions. And out of these three interactions with Jesus, we're going to see what we must know and understand about the most primary thing that has to happen, that's regeneration. Regeneration is a really important thing for us to understand. Regeneration is where God changes us into something new. It's not, it's not a working of, okay, we're just going to make ourselves a little better, kind of add on or like a bonus level. No, regeneration is he has to completely do something bra- like tra- drastically new to us. And that's what he's going to talk about here. So the first statement, Nicodemus comes to him and he says, Jesus, comes to Jesus by night and says, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. Okay, we know this. We know that you've come from God because why? Because nothing but God could do the signs that you have done so far. We only know of the water into wine and then the temple situation, but there has to have been other things that happened in here because he's saying the things that you're doing, or maybe he's just knowing it because he understood that John the Baptist was a little bit different and there was something there. And John the Baptist has already said, this is the Lamb of God. This is the Son of God. He is greater than I. I'm not even worthy to put on his sandals. So we know that there's, there's something there. So he's like, man, you, you're obviously these things. But what he's most excited about and what he's most wanting to understand, he's wanting Jesus to tell him, how? How do you do these signs? That's really what he's coming to when he says, he says, we know that you're teaching signs, for no one can do these signs unless, um, that you do unless God is with him. So he's saying, look, this is the case. This is kind of me kind of respectfully coming and going, I don't understand these signs and to what purpose? Like, why would you use the purification jars to put the wine in? Why not just use the wine skins? And, and, and why, why, are you, why are you turning all these things over in the temple and, and creating whips? And like, what, what's going on here? Like, what, 
Like, I understand this, but, but help me understand this. Jesus says, truly, truly, I've told you this over and over again, but he says it like 20 times in this testament. Truly, truly is, I'm about to say something really important, and what I'm saying is true. It's 100% honest. It's, it's maybe a modern-day version. I'm not going to lie to you, right? Or, or let me be honest. Like, like no, this is like, it's, a, it's even greater than that. It's like what I'm saying is, is so valid and true that it's, it's, it cannot be anything else than that. One Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, the kingdom of God, this is the only time that this shows up in the Gospel of John, but the kingdom of God, this is brilliant what, God, what Jesus does with Nicodemus here. Nicodemus is versed in Old Testament language. So the kingdom of God would have automatically taken him back to God's rule, God's place, this is where it is. And it would have forced him to, to think about the future God rule, like where everything is there. So he's saying, well, hold on a second. You can't get into the kingdom of God. And here's Nicodemus, probably in his 50s at this time, maybe 40s, 50s, right around there. And he's, he's going, wait a second. I got to be born again? Like I'm old and I've spent my whole life doing everything that I could to be right. He would have had to have started at the age of three to four to really get to the level of where he is in the Sanhedrin. Like every day of his life for years, for decades, built up to knowing that you're doing God's work so that you can be a part of the God's kingdom. And, and Jesus says, hey, if you want to be a part of God's kingdom, you have to be born again. You have to be born again. And Nicodemus is it's offensive. It's shocking because ultimately what he's saying is everything that you've done, Nicodemus, doesn't matter. Everything that you've done doesn't matter. The thing that matters the most is to be born again. If you want the kingdom of God. Now, God will graciously, we saw this with the Apostle Paul, right? God will amazingly use the, the knowledge you have before him to, for his glory. But ultimately, that has no bearings as to whether or not you are or are not in the kingdom of God. Now, it, it makes sense if Jesus says that to a prostitute, right? It makes sense if he says it to the thief on the cross, it, may make, it makes sense to those people because all of us are like, yeah, they've lived a life that's atrocious and horrible and they need to start over. But to someone that spent their entire life trying to do the right thing to start over, Nicodemus responds like I think any one of us would. Whoa, 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 I've been going to church for a long time, Jesus. I've given, I serve most of the time. I'm pretty kind. You know, I even give the extra stuff. I read some verses. Like we might go to those lists, but to him he's like, My, I got the whole thing memorized. I'm literally the one that people look to to teach them about you. Is that not enough? And Jesus says, you must be born again. And Nicodemus is like, I'm old. What am I going like, to crawl back into my mother's womb? That's just gross. That makes no sense at all. Why would you ask that of me? Why, why would you even consider this? How can I, this is the first question, how can, I, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born why would, why would he even do it? What Nicodemus does is the same thing you and I do when we wrestle with something we don't understand. We think in our flesh. Jesus is speaking to him about spiritual things. Jesus is speaking to him about things that are powerful and beautiful and wonderful, but yet he is, he is trying to articulate and understand them, not at that level. He's trying to articulate them and understand them at his own understanding. I've spent this time. What does he mean to be born again? What's well, really funny is he's actually, Nicodemus, who has all the Old Testament memorized, is missing some scriptures. So Jesus, being a gracious man, being a kind man, instead of squashing Nicodemus, which because why? Jesus knows the heart of every man. 
what does he do? He says, okay, Nicodemus, you want to know how? Let me take you back. Let me take you back so this will help you understand. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which, which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Now, there's all kinds of arguments among theologians about what this means. Water and spirit is water. Some believe water is like the idea of amniotic fluid and like the water, the flesh, and some believe the water could be the, the male side of what helps in procreation, right? And that, so like that's some, most people are like, no, that doesn't make sense. Others think, well, maybe this is water, this is baptism, which makes sense because John the Baptist was baptizing at this point, but it wasn't a, pro, like a big practice in the understanding of new life. And so some are like, no, I don't, I don't think that's where it is. You know what I think Jesus is doing? Jesus is taking Nicodemus right where he needs to go because he knows Nicodemus. He goes all the way back to the Old Testament. Hey, dude, you got this memorized. Let me, let me jog your memory a little bit here. And he takes him to Ezekiel 36. He says, I will take you, this is God speaking, I will take you, the nations, and gather from you all the countries and bring you into a, your own land. I will sprinkle you clean. Sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness, and from all your idols I will cleanse you. Now remember, the purification jars, the temple, the turning things over. What is Jesus doing here? He's taking Nicodemus right where he needs to hear the truth. And he says, goes on, and I will give you what? A new heart, and the new spirit will, I will put in you, and I will remove the heart of stone from you and your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I give, gave to your fathers, and you shall be my people, and I will be your God, and I will deliver you from all your uncleanness. Jesus takes him right back and says, hey, you, you know this. What I'm speaking to you, you've just missed. You, you've misunderstood it. You've, you've made it make sense to the mind. You've made it make sense to, to, your, to your wee little mind, but you're forgetting that there's a spirit aspect to this. And just to go a little bit further, he says, look, where the wind goes, do you know where the wind's coming from? Like, we have, like, radars and stuff that talk about wind, but we still don't really know. Like, the wind's there. It can move anywhere. It can hit a building and turn a different direction. In their day, the wind was dangerous. <laughs> the wind would come out crazy, especially in Galilee. There, the, kind of the horns of Haddon was this, this big valley that the wind would come down through, and it would turn that lake into an ocean instantly. I mean, just get really nasty waters really quick. Have you ever been to Lake Cascade? Like when it gets really bad, like, like picture that even worse. And this is, so like the wind was there, but he's like, you don't know the wind. Just like you don't know the spirit. The spirit moves and acts and lives, and he's gonna move in a way that you can't understand. But what I'm doing, what I'm speaking to you, is what you knew all along, Nicodemus. Nick, you got to understand this. Like, you knew this. You knew that I had to remove a heart of stone for you to actually understand and know God. Really, he's just repeating what he's already said in John 1. But to all who, who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born, what? Not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. You want to know what it takes to have eternal life, you must be born again. You must be regenerated by God. What do you see in Ezekiel? What part does, do we play in that? Does it say, you will do these things? No. Every bit of Ezekiel, I will. I will call people. 
I will remove the, the heart of stone. I will put in a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit on them so that you can walk in my statutes. Everything is done. Regeneration is done by him, which to, to Nicodemus is a really hard thing because everything that he has done and thought and believed and taught is that I will work my salvation, my kingdom life out based on my birthright, and I will continue to do the things that matter. I will not fail these 613 laws. I will follow God so that I can be welcomed into the kingdom of God. And Jesus said, no, no, none of that. I will put a heart of flesh in you. I will put my spirit on you. I will cleanse you. Water was always seen as a cleansing agent in the, all of the Old Testament. I will cleanse you. This is what he's doing cleansing us and making us new. Another view that could make sense, or maybe the way that Nicodemus might have heard this, was if he thought of water and spirit, and I think this could make sense. Again, we don't know for sure, but, but John the Baptist was baptizing. What was he saying? Repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. And so maybe Nicodemus could have heard this as, I need to repent and have the spirit. I need to repent and have the spirit. I must repent and God's spirit will come into me. So maybe that's a tie that's working here. But ultimately, he's saying, look, you're not going to really fully understand this, Nicodemus. Oh, good, all those PhDs, all that understanding, all that education. Let me just tell you, can you, can you define the wind? No? Okay, good. You're not going to be able to define the spirit either. And he pay, takes Nic Nicodemus to a point of like, in our situation, if you had spent your entire life knowing the right answer, if you were like, have you ever been humbled like that? Where you felt like you had it all together and then all of a sudden you realized you knew nothing. And you spent energy and time and life, relational status and, and, and all kinds of your, your Facebook time and, and, and Instagram time and everything showing that you knew these things only to be humbled. That's what's happening to Nicodemus. He's being unraveled at the core of what he held as the most important thing to him, his knowledge, his knowing, his understanding of who God was. But I love, I love his next question. If we could just be a people that would be willing to ask this next question over and over and over again. Guys, I tell you, it will take us so far. I picture him, I picture him, this, this conversation, we only have three statements. We know because it was at night that most likely him and Nicodemus spent a lot of time together. There's a decent conversation that happened there. But I picture him with his hands on his face, like feeling kind of utterly destroyed because the man that's doing signs that he believes are from God because no one could do these signs except for from God. Nicodemus is smart. The man that could be the Messiah because that's what John the Baptist said and kind of made sense there too. The man, this man right now, he's sitting there and he's just heard that his religion, his efforts, and his time mean nothing. His birthright means nothing. That he has to be born again. That puts him on level with the Gentiles and all the people that were never part of God. And he has to unravel all of that. And I picture him sitting there and going, oh, how can these be? How can these things be? Too often, I think we're so afraid to utter those words to God. Through this pandemic, God, how can these things be? What do we, what, do we, what, 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 how? It doesn't make sense. We are too quick because we're afraid of it not making sense because we're afraid of looking stupid or afraid of what else we may not know. But Nicodemus, 
the teacher of teachers, the understanding of all things, the one that, that was the one that was the expert in everything, goes, how can these things be? It doesn't make sense. How can these things be? Why does he ask this question? Because, like 1 Corinthians 2.14 says, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. That's exactly where Jesus goes. He says, if you can't understand the things of natural, why in the world would I give you heavenly things? It's going to confuse you and dumbfound you even more. But Jesus throws in one more bone, and this is a big one. This is one that we cannot miss, and it's one that he would have known perfectly. Maybe he missed Ezekiel. Maybe he was a little bit, you know, he just kind of got tired. It was, at that point, it's kind of a long book. It was a long one to memorize. You know, he's like, maybe that's what the issue was. But he takes him to numbers. Takes him to a story of Moses where every single Jew would have known this because this is the, the, the people of God that have been making poor decisions, right? They're, they're whining. God has miraculously, like, they're like, we're thirsty. And Moses hits a rock and they're like, there's fresh water, right? And then somehow God's like raining bread, right? Which is some of your gluten people are like, oh, no, it's okay, right? He's, rain, he's raining bread down from him and they're eating food and they start complaining. They're complaining to God who has miraculously saved them from slavery, has, has brought them out of this. Now, granted, they're wandering in the desert, which may not be fun, but it's kind of like maybe 2020, we're wandering in the desert and we're complaining about how hard it's been and we're forgetting the, the previous years in our life where God has done amazing things. We just say, I want something else. And God's like, no, 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 I'm taking you somewhere. I'm taking you somewhere far better than where you were. He says, goes back to Numbers and says, do you remember Moses? Do you remember Moses and the stick? What happened there? Those people are arguing. This is Numbers 21. I would encourage you to go back and read it. We don't have time for it today. And he's, they're, they're grumbling and they're upset. And so God's like, oh, I can't handle my people. And so he sends venomous snakes down there and they start biting people. And people will start dying and getting really sick. It's in the Bible. Read it, okay? God is doing this, right? He's doing this to people. And so then they're like, what do we do? We don't know what to do. And so they go to Moses, and Moses goes to God, and God says, okay, put a little bronze snake on a staff and hold it up. Elevate it up. And tell people when they look at it, they'll be okay. Now, I don't know about you. That takes a lot of faith. Have you ever thought about the, like, stick? Oh, look, just stare at it. And if I look, oh, oh, no, stare, just stare at the staff, right? What is God doing in that? He's showing them that people cannot do it on their own, and we need to look to him to solve us. What else will be lifted up on a stick? Dare I say a cross? Jesus. Saying, you want to enter the kingdom of God? You've got to fix your eyes not on what you see horizontally or not on your education, not on all those other things. You need to fix your eyes back on God and ultimately where the Son of Man will be lifted up. He will be lifted up on a stick, on a cross, on a tree, and he will hang there. And that is how you become new. That is how you become born again, by submitting your life to that man, to this man. And that's what Jesus does. He takes him back there and says, look, this is it. I'm the one. He offers, uh, one scholar says it this way, he offers something new and abundant and makes an absolute call on those who would follow him. Jewish ritual vessels and the Jewish temple, both instruments of religious cleansing, now find a replacement in Christ. But in order for this replacement to be complete, we must wait the hour Chapter 2, verse 4, the time when the temple of his body that Jonathan was talking about last week will be torn down and rebuilt. Chapter 2, 19. In other words, Jesus' glorification on the cross will be the turning point in which Judaism discovers its disillusion and renewal. You want to be in the kingdom of God? You want eternal life? Then it comes through Jesus Christ. And what's sad is Nicodemus leaves 
We don't get any more of his discourse here. We don't know what happens here. He pops up all over through the Gospel of John. Like I said, we, most scholars believe that he came to faith, got kicked out of the Sanhedrin. Some even believe he was martyred for following Jesus later in his life. There's really no reason for him to help Joseph to, to get Jesus' body out so that they could embalm it and do the things that they're doing unless he has some kind of belief in Jesus. But I can guarantee if he spent that time embalming him and then all of a sudden three days later he was, Jesus was walking around, I'm pretty sure that might have sealed the deal for Nicodemus. But ultimately, he leaves this conversation baffled, confused. Why? Because at this point, he wasn't willing to leave his self-reliance to religion yet. And see, right now, some of you, you're like, you're, you're carrying this story. I was raised in the church, but you've never been born again. You may have all the answers. You may even be able to defend it, but you've never really felt or experienced regeneration, the, the Spirit bringing new life in you because you've never really submitted your life to Jesus. You fixed your gaze on the systems around you, the churches and the small groups and the college ministries and the youth ministries, and you kind of just kept your eyes there and you never once fixed your gaze on that, on whom would be lifted up on that cross. You never surrendered your life to Jesus and, and experienced regeneration. So what does this mean for us today? We don't need to tweak our life a little bit. You know, there's a statement like, we have a God-sized hole in our life and, and Jesus needs to fill it. Like, I, I know the idea behind it, but basically what it's saying is that everything outside of the hole is perfectly fine without him. We're not walking around in a hospital. We're laying dead in the morgue. We need new life. We don't need Jesus to come and update our life. We don't need like 2.0 version of Bren. We need to abandon the entirety of everything that I was so that I could be born again into the righteousness of God. Don't tweak your life. Maybe it's you've never been born again. Will you surrender your life to Jesus? If you have, if you have not been born again, if you've not experienced this, if you've not understood what it means to surrender your life to Jesus, then don't wait. Do it. Don't be afraid. Oh, let me guess. You don't have all the answers. Well, guess what? Nicodemus thought he had all the answers and realized he had none. And they go, oh, but it's going to change my life. Yeah, you're, you're, you're right. It's going to change your life a lot, a lot, because your life is no longer yours. It's his. That means I'm going to have to do things differently in my life. You're right, but don't worry. Like Ezekiel tells us, he gives us the spirit to walk in those things. We don't have to do it on our own strength. He's going to do it through us in our submission to Him. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, 21 says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to Himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ God was reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making His appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God for the sake, for our sake He made Him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. God is not interested in a rework of what's broken, but an entirely new you. He's not interested in that. And you're, right now, if you're like, I've spent way too much life in this broken list, I've done way too many things, that's great because you're leaving that behind. It's passing away. You're leaving that behind. You're like, okay, well, I've done a lot of really good things, not as bad as the other person. Okay, okay, let's just make sure you're not too pharisaical, but you're leaving that behind as well. New life. One scholar says it this way. It says, Jesus' word regarding the new birth shatters once for all every supposed excellence of man's attainment. 
all merit of human deeds, all prerogatives of natural birth or station. Spiritual birth is something he produces. Analogous way, but on a far higher plane, regeneration is not, our, not a work of ours. What a blow to Nicodemus. His being a Jew gave him no part in the kingdom. His being a Pharisee esteemed holier than other people availed him nothing in his membership in the Sanhedrin. His fame as one of its scribes went for naught. This rabbi from Galilee calmly tells him that he is not yet in the kingdom, all in which he had built his hopes throughout a long, arduous life here sank into ruin and became a little worthless heap of ashes. Jesus was telling him that entrance to God's salvation was not a matter of adding something to all his efforts, topping off his religious devotion, rather canceling everything and starting all over again. The way that Jesus speaks to Nicodemus is how he speaks to us. He is calling us to admit that we are spiritually bankrupt and that we need him. We need him. We bring nothing to the table. This whole idea that I've even done this, like, oh, man, could you imagine if so-and-so came to Christ because they have so many gifts? No, no. No one's going to be doing any favors to God. He's the one that does anything. Anything good that comes out of me is him. Regeneration is entirely a work of the Holy Spirit. He's calling us to abandon everything like the Apostle Paul says in Philippians 8, or Philippians 3.8. Abandon everything. There's another thing that Jesus, that John is pointing out that needs to be changed. The Jews taught that your religion was based on your own merit and actions. Obviously, we're going to see Jesus completely obliterate that and say, it's not your merit, it's not your actions. The best you get is surrender. But even that, the Spirit is the one that's doing the work in you. As one scholar says, he says, religion is not necessarily a matter of personal knowledge or ethical behavior nor is it fidelity to religious traditions, no matter how virtuously they evoke higher ethical religious behavior among us. Jesus is claiming that true spirituality is not discovering some latent capacity within the human soul and fanning it to flame. It is not uncovering a moral consciousness that is hidden by sedimentary layers of civilization's corruptions, nor is it inspiring aesthetic qualities that promote society in its finest form. It is not a horizontal experience that takes up the materials available around us in the world. Rather, Jesus claims true religion is vertical. It has to do not with the human spirit, but with God's spirit. It is a foreign invasion, sabotage of the first order. True religion unites humanity with God's powerful spirit who overwhelms, transforms, and converts in the full meaning of the word, its subjects. Our role in this transformation is belief, John three sixteen or 18. And yet it is a belief that is aided by God's work within us. We live in the darkness and have our spiritual capacities handicapped by sin. This is what it means to have the kingdom of God. We're going to take communion. Communion is a, a beautiful expression. We see uh, in Matthew 26, I didn't put it up on the slides. It says, now as they are eating, Jesus took the bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink of it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. When we take communion, we are proclaiming the goodness of Jesus Christ. Not only who he is and what he has done for us, but what he will do for us and in us and through us to his second coming. But in this section, we see so many beautiful things. We're we're told to remember Jesus. It's just weird to think that we have to remember him, but we're told to remember him in his incarnation the bread that is his body. Told to remember him in our forgiveness, the blood that that symbolizes our sins forgiven that was spilled for us. We're told to remember him because he has put us into community. We are to do this with others when we gather. We're told ultimately to long for the full experience of his kingdom when when we will be with him 
again at the marriage supper of the Lamb, and he will be doing this with us. That's what communion is. And so what we're going to do is we're going to, I'm going to pray here in just a second. I'm going to give you guys a chance to just go grab your communion. There's a table up here, a table back there. If you need gluten-free, it's right by the entrance over there. And then I would just encourage you guys to take communion when you're ready. If you have anything that needs to be repented of, please take that opportunity. If you are, if you are holding on to bitterness or unforgiveness or, or some sinfulness thing that, that, is, that God says, no, do not hold on to, then repent of that before you take of these things. If you're here and you're like, man, I don't even know if I'm a follower of Jesus, well then submit your life to Jesus and, and go, go with us or someone to pray with you to get the communion and understand what that means. And then at the end of communion, we've been doing this for, well, really since we've been back in the space inside here, we've been doing a time of corporate prayer. And so I thought today what we would do for corporate prayer is I would, thought it would be really good for us to thank him for what this means. So after you take communion, just in your seats, we're just going to give you guys some time, out loud pray. Thank him for what communion means to you. Maybe it's a reminder of the regeneration, the, the, the new birth that you have. Maybe it's, a, it's an understanding for you that, that you've been living contrary to that new birth. And, and God, you're thanking him for his grace. But whatever it is, let's thank Jesus for what he's done for us. Let's thank him for coming, incarnating, living on this earth, a perfect life, taking our place in place of the, the, the judgment that we, are deserve, we deserve in God, taking the wrath of God in place of us. Go and, and take communion and do it in a way that brings honor and glory to him. And then afterwards, let's just thank him. Just out loud, don't be embarrassed. Just call it your prayer. If you're watching online, then just spend some time thanking him before we jump back into worship. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for who you are. Thank you for the reminder for me this week of just how uh, little my knowledge matters when it came to knowing you. Ultimately, it mattered that I was completely, <laughs> completely depraved of everything, knowing that I need you. God, you have brought regeneration into our hearts. You've given us a new life. You've given us newness. And, and it's not based on our own merits, our own doing. So as we come to the table of communion, as we come to, to thank you for your body that was incarnated for us, your, your blood that was spilled for us, the, the, to thank you for what you've done in the past and what you're doing in our hearts and ultimately to plead with you to come back, to come back, please, Lord. May we do so in a way that brings you glory and honor. May we know that you, um, you are good and you are faithful. And so we thank you for the ability to take communion. And as we, as we pray as a body, God, I pray that our prayer would not be um, systematic or, or, or just uttering words or, or eloquent words, but instead would just be heartfelt cries to a God that is deeply, relationally connected to us. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>